open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4. The message this evening is called Purity, Problems, and Peace. If you're going to live a pure life, you're going to have problems. But those problems will result in peace as long as we endure and go through them. In chapter 1, King Cyrus gave the decree to return to Jerusalem. That is, those who were in captivity. He gave the decree to go back to Jerusalem and to build the temple. In chapter 2, we have the names of those that returned to Jerusalem. And in chapter 3, the people established the true worship of God before building the temple. And now here in chapter 4, the building begins. But as soon as it begins, Satan tries to stop the work. So we have a great lesson in here about, again, the work that we do for God and the way that Satan will try to stop that very work. From the very beginning, the remnant who went back to Jerusalem faced opposition from the mixed multitude of the land who really didn't want the Jews living in Jerusalem and they didn't want them rebuilding the temple. But opportunity and opposition go hand in hand. They usually go together. And the greater the opportunity, the greater the opposition. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 69, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Something you always need to remember when you are doing the Lord's work, and it doesn't matter what it is, it is when you're doing it His way, expect and accept opposition as a challenge rather than as a hindrance. Today, there's no such thing as a genuine work for God without some kind of problems and without opposition. Satan will make sure of that. And a work that doesn't have much much opposition from the adversary is a work that isn't doing much for the Lord. G. Campbell Morgan said this, if you have no opposition in the place you serve, you're serving in the wrong place. He also said, if you have no adversaries, you better move out and find the place where you get them. Most people don't invite opposition, but the loyal servant of Jesus Christ will not run from it. Now, Paul wasn't bummed out by opposition, and he experienced a lot of opposition. And it seems like Paul, he even flourished when he encountered opposition. And maybe it was because he recognized that, man... For me to be receiving this opposition and and all of these obstacles, hey, I must be doing a good work for God because the devil is really against it. And when we're looking for a place to serve the Lord, you know what? We should look for a place with problems. (laughs) Many people want a place to go where there aren't no problems. We need to look for a place or, or for a group in our own congregation that needs to have a better understanding of God's word. Or for people who have never heard God's word, or if they have heard it, it's only been in a perverted or unbalanced form. That's where the Lord can truly use us. So let's begin now with chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And it says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel... And the heads of the father's houses and said to them, 
Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Now, it mentions the adversaries of Judah here. The adversaries of Judah were the Samaritans. Ezhardan, which was the king of Assyria, he ruled Assyria from 681 to 669 B.C., he had transferred or relocated the conquered people of the new northern kingdom to other lands. He spread them out over other lands. Then he brought people from other lands into Palestine. These foreigners intermarried with the Hebrews who were left in the land. Their children became Samaritans. Judah and Benjamin, which is the southern kingdom of Judah, is called the nation of Judah and Simeon. The southern kingdom also included land from Benjamin, where Jerusalem was located. The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, was taken captive by the Assyrians. And it was the habit of the Assyrians to move the people out of their native surroundings and resettle them in other uh, areas. And the purpose purpose was to totally break down their morale because they weren't home anymore, to, to, and to break down their sense of national identity of who they were as a people and the feeling of their, their ethnicity. The later, then later on, Judah, the southern kingdom, was taken captive and they were carried off to Babylon. So the land that God had promised his people was lying now abandoned or it had been repopulated by other ethnic groups. And when the Assyrians tried to repopulate the northern kingdom of Israel, they had a really tough time because the wild animals began to attack the people in the villages. So they complained to the Assyrian king. And the people said, look, we don't know the customs of these people's God. So send some of the people to teach us the customs of their gods so that we might worship him and drive off the attacks of these wild animals. Some of the Israelites were brought back to teach these people who have been repopulated in the northern kingdom the worship of Jehovah. These people who married and intermarried became and were known as the Samaritans, and they were hated by the true-blooded Jews. They settled in the area that was generally the area that belonged to, the, to Israel, the northern kingdom, whereas the area of Judah remained pretty much desolate after the Babylonian captivity. And the time now has come for the word of God to be fulfilled. And as a result, they wanted to join with those who had come back from Babylon. The enemy's first shot, you know, make note of this as we go along, because again, it deals with serving God. The enemy's first shot or first trick at hindering the work of rebuilding the temple was to draw them into an ungodly partnership unequally yoked with those that weren't God's people. They came to Zerubbabel. That's always been the subtlety of Satan in his work through the liberal church. Liberalism today has divided the church. Then they say to us, the fundamentalists, the Bible-believing Christians, they will say to us, You fundamentalists, you are too legal. You're too legalistic. You're too narrow-minded. You're too rigid. 
You need to be more tolerant. You need to be more acceptable. You need to change with the times. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians are caving in. Wrong. Jesus said he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible does not need to be revised. It has never been, and it never will need to be. Jeremiah 26, 2, thus says the Lord. He said, stand in the court of the Lord's house, Jeremiah, and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them. And he said, do not diminish a word. The word diminish means to scrape off. By implication, it means to shave, to remove, to lessen, to withhold. So God told Jeremiah, you go into the house of God, into my house, and you tell my people not to scrape off, to shave off, to remove, to lessen, withhold any of my word. You preach it in all of its truth and all of its undiminished power and let the chips fall where they may. And because we don't join with the liberal world, the liberal church and their theology, we're the troublemakers. We're the troublemakers. Liberalism wants to be a part of the church, but on their terms. They want you to worship on their terms. And I'm telling you now, this next election will be one of the most critical, if not the most critical, in our time. And if the liberal, socialist, far left get their way, you are going to see this country go down the tube your freedom to 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 believe what you believe will be undermined it's no joke it is for real the adversaries of judah and benjamin they came to king zerubbabel and they said hey let us build with you because we worship your god just like you do you guys have just gotten back, to, you know, but, but we've been sacrificing to him ever since King Esarhaddon of Assyria brought us here. They said, again, this was the mixed multitude. They said, oh, let us join with you, God's people, and we'll worship him together. It sounds nice, doesn't it? Let us all join hands and sing, we are the world, and let us build this temple together, and, and it will be ours together. Well, that's going to happen during the Great Tribulation, the One World Church. They said, oh, Zerubbabel, we worship the same God that you do. There's no need for us to be separated. And these people offered to help in the rebuilding project because they wanted to keep a close eye on what the Jews were doing. And maybe they were jealous, thinking that the name and the fame of the new temple at Jerusalem would outshine anything that they had. And maybe they were afraid that it might win the hearts of the people and draw them away from their mixed religion. So what did they do? They offered a cheap compromise between pure religion, God's people, and pure error. And they came offering to pitch in for a common cause. Zerubbabel, we want to help you guys, you know, build God's church. They were hoping to keep Jerusalem from becoming strong again. And this could have been a big temptation, but the Jews saw right through their lying teeth. They saw right through their scheme. Because a partnership like this with unbelievers would, led, would have led God's people to compromise their faith. Now on the surface, their offer sounds pretty good. But they weren't for real, as we'll see. They were saying, oh, let's walk together. Let's work together. Let's set our differences aside. 
Let's not let our differences keep us from working together and let us stroll merry along together in sweet communion with, uh, together with each other. Amos 3, 3 said, can two walk together unless they are agreed? No. Look at the response of Zerubbabel again in verse 3 of chapter 4. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the house, father's houses of Israel said to them, look, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. But we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. The heads of the father's houses of Israel, they weren't very nice, were they? They totally rejected their offer to become friends and for their help and anything else they wanted to do. The Israelites don't seem to be interested in the one world church. In fact, they seem downright rude. There ain't no way you're going to help us. Again, where's the love? But they were right. Remember, the important thing, you guys, is to be right. Too many people today, by what they're seeing on TV and by what they're being told, are moved by their feelings and their emotions. When the psychological and the emotional approach, and that's what pictures do to you, that's what stories do to you, This don't take what you see and believe it. Don't take what you hear and believe it. But when you use the psychological and the emotional approach, that is touching people's feelings. When those things conflict with the Bible, you must stick to the Bible. The Bible must always win over your feelings. If you're a child of God. And sometimes you have to take a hard stand. And many people today, even in the church, are being seduced, blinded by their emotions, blinded by what they hear, what they see, and what they feel, believing the liberal stuff that's out there, rather than believing facts and what's right. At least research them and find out for yourselves. Instead of believing the facts and what's right and the Constitution and biblical truths and standards... We read, and again, Second Chronicles 34, 31, and 32, it said, Then King Josiah stood in his place, and he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and with all of his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. You need to take a stand. You can't compromise when it comes to keeping God's principle. Because there's a lot more to lose than gain in having the help of those who are not really and totally with us. The unimportant matters, that is the non-essentials of faith, we can compromise on those things. And it's usually the wisest and Christ-like thing to do to give up maybe some of our so-called rights for the sake of keeping the unity. But when the essential biblical truths are at stake, that is, truths that heal and save and set aside and sanctify the soul, truth for purity and integrity, of which we are to be a witness for Jesus Christ, then we have to stand firm, even at the risk of being misinterpreted, misunderstood, unloving, unfriendly, you know, those, and we have to say, no, you can't have any part in this work. Because we have nothing in common. And that means we have to do it alone. 
As soon as the people were free from their captivity to start building God's house, that's when Satan attacked. That's when the difficulties begin to pop up. Let's now look at verses 4 and 5. Then the people of the land, notice, tried to discourage the people. Wait a minute, just a minute ago, they go, come on, you guys, let's work together. We want the same thing you do. But when they didn't get their way, you see the truth comes out. The people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors notice, against them to frustrate their purpose of all, uh, all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. In the reign of Ahasuerus and in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Here's the second tactic. The first was for the enemy to draw you into an ungodly relationship with those of that are not of God. Now, the second tactic of the enemy was to try to discourage and intimidate the people. Now we see these people's true colors. They were really enemies. They weren't their friends. As soon as they were turned down, they began to go all out to come against them. And they found out like we do that the work of God doesn't go as smoothly as we think it will or want it to. From start to finish, there are obstacles and there are discouragements from the outside as well as trouble from the inside. Discouragement and fear are two of the biggest obstacles in starting and finishing God's work. And most of the time they come when, when and where you least expect them. And discouragement, it will eat away at your motivation. The longer you're discouraged, the more, or actually the less that you want to do. And pretty soon it will kill your motivation. And then fear, oh man, it paralyzes us so that we don't do anything. Be aware. Make note that these are common stumbling blocks in Satan's bag of tricks. But remember, by God's help and standing together with other believers, you can overcome fear and discouragement and finish God's will. Whatever neighborly kindness there may have been in the Samaritans offer of friendship to the Jews rebuilding the temple, it soon turned into bitter hatred when Zerubbabel turned their offer down to be partners. No, you can't. You can't join us in this work. We're going to do it alone. From that point on, they discouraged and they troubled and they accused and they threatened and they lied about those that they just tried to sweet talk into partners. We have some examples or suggestions here of the character and the displays of human hatred. It's blind. It's blindness, like all cruelty and like all sin. It doesn't know what it's doing. They thought that they were only responding like anybody would after being rejected like they were. But what they were really doing was raising their hand against God's people. And they were doing their best to weaken and to stop the work of God. Anger is always blind. It doesn't see its own ugliness and its own unproductivity. It doesn't know the destruction that it does. Anger is blind, and it really is a destructive and self-injuring blow. James tells us in chapter 1, 19 and 20, My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Here's why. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you really get angry, do you act very godly? Not really. We say things and do things that aren't godly. 
That's why James sets a, a pattern here. He says, let, let us be swift. Let us listen first. Let us be slow to open our mouths. Let us, let us be slow to get angry. And if we follow that, that pattern there, if we'd, be, if we'd listen more and be slow to speak less, we'd be a lot less likely to get angry. And the reason is wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. James says that anger explodes when our egos are offended. I'm hurt because nobody listens to my opinion. Nobody listens to my ideas. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. We shouldn't get angry if we don't win an argument. Or when we feel neglected or offended. Secondly, we see its deliberateness. These men deliberately went out of their way to destroy what their neighbors had started. It was just a little angry outburst on the inside, but deep inside, this was an ongoing, seething purpose for revenge. These people carefully thought out and planned how to destroy God's people. Another character and display of human hatred is, is the mischief that it does. But let's, let's go on first with this, its deliberateness. How they carefully thought out and planned how to destroy them. They stopped at nothing. They used every trick in the book so, these, so that these returnees from the captivity could see just how angry they were. They found ways to hinder their work. They dug up all the dirt that they could find from their past. Verse 5 says they hired counselors to represent them at the court of Babylon so that they could frustrate and put an end to God's plan for Israel. We see the evidence and the consequence of sin. The fact of men, we see the, the fact here of men who take pleasure in and feeding an unforgiving hatred in their hearts against somebody, plotting and scheming day after day, thinking, how can we hurt them? How can we ruin their plans? How can we crush their hopes? And then we see another character and display of human hatred, the mischief that it does. These angry people were there to do nothing now to, but to, to hinder, to obstruct God's people's success. And these angry obstructionists were successful for a while. They did weaken those that they were trying to hinder. Verse 4 said, they troubled them in building. That is, they succeeded in getting Cyrus to listen to them and to support them. And in the end, they caused the work of building the temple of God to stop. And history shows that man's anger against the truth and the work of God has done a lot of damage. And it still does today. It weakens God's people and it troubles them in building up his kingdom, causing the work to stop, hindering the gospel. And from this display of anger, we are reminded that it's biblically unnatural. Now, to the Samaritans, it was totally natural to just go all out in their bitter wrath and to take these spiteful measures. One of the greatest Romans writing a few years before Christ said this. War was the natural relationship between neighboring nations. But how really and basically unnatural for man's heart that was made to be the home of love and kindness and compassion to take pleasure and to be made the source of good and generosity and to be harboring hatred. 
to take pleasure in somebody else's pain and to be rejoicing in the humiliation and disappointment in another person. What a contradiction to what our creator desires of us. That's deviating from God's plan for us. And how totally ugly and disgusting that must be in his sight. Verses 6 through 24 now. In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, also Abishlam, Mithridath, Tabal, and the rest of their companions, they wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated in the Aramaic language. Rehum, the commander of Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to king Artaxerxes in this fashion. From Rehom the commander, Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of their companions, representatives of the, the Dinites, the uh, Aphrasarchites, the, the Tarpolites, the people of Persia, Erech and Babylon and Shushan, the Deavites, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Oznapper took captive and settled in the cities of Samaria and the remainder beyond the river and so forth. This is a copy of the letter that they sent him. To King Artaxerxes, from your servants, the men of the region beyond the river and so forth, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building, notice, the rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. He said, let it be known to the king that if this city is built, and the walls are completed. They will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now, because we received support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's honor, uh, the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have set and, and we have sent and informed the king that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. And you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city harmful to kings and provinces and they have incited sedition within the city in former times for which cause this city was destroyed we inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed the result will be they had problems with walls in those days too we inform the king that if this city was rebuilt and its walls are completed the result will be that you will have no uh, dominion beyond the river the king sent an answer to Rehum, the commander, to Shimshai, the scribe, to the rest of their companions who dwell in Samaria and to the remainder beyond the river, peace and so forth. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me and I gave the command and search has been made notice and it was found that this city in former times has revolted against kings and rebellion and sedition have fostered in it. There have there have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river and tax and tribute and custom were paid to them. Now give the command to make these these men cease that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum, Shimshai, the scribe, and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. We see three thoughts here from this old document. We see the strong will efforts made by these Samaritans to stop the Jews from building the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. 
It's well proven in the letter between them and the king of Persia. The contents of this letter, what these people wrote in this letter shows us or reminds us how men will go through so much trouble to hurt other people to make themselves known. These men in the days of Artaxerxes, they were able to get the sympathy and the cooperation of the Persian commanders and scribe. Also their companions, different Persian settlers that were living then in Samaria. And with the rest of the nations uh, whom Osnapper brought over and set in their cities with their help, got access to King Artaxerxes and persuaded him to listen to all these things that they wrote in this letter of complaint. So the people had a short-lived victory because the king, Cyrus, approved their request, the people's request, to stop the work. But in the end, their evil plan was defeated and those that they plotted against accomplished their goal. We also see that a time of special work will probably prove to be a time of unusual endurance, carrying through the difficult times. The Jews at this time, they were very busy building. They weren't just putting up walls. They were rebuilding a nation in relaying the the foundation of the kingdom's work and the work of God. That's what they were doing. Because you see, the kind of work they were doing, that is the Lord's work, they found themselves wide open to very severe hostility and to deadly plots against them. Their nearest neighbors were plotting against them. And now they were doing what's always found to be very hard to endure, and that is being misrepresented and slandered. They were telling the king that they were a rebellious and evil city, verse 12 tells us. These people were bent on, they said these people, God's people, they were bent on telling, they were bent on refusing to pay tax, tribute, or custom. They were harmful to kings and provinces. They intended to break off their loyalty so that the king would lose the province west of the Euphrates River. But the Jews weren't planning anything like this. They had been faithful citizens while they were in Persia. And they had, a, they, they had good and faithful intentions here at this time. But notice the accusations made against them. They were totally false. It was a wicked misrepresentation. Notice, when men are working hard and they're staying busy building the kingdom of the Lord, they can expect these kinds of misrepresentations. Things will be said by the enemies of God. Now, they may have some truth, but it's basically false. But we can't pay any attention to it when we're doing sincere and faithful work. The very goodness and the, and the valuable quality of our work will defeat the hatred and the opposition of our enemies of the truth. And then we and our work will be slandered. And we will be called members of a sect or a cult. And we will be spoken against, just like today. But you know what? That's okay. Because we're in good company. Never be embarrassed or ashamed if others talk about you. Don't forget who it was that was accused of sedition. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said the disciple is not above his teacher. Rejoice that we're counted worthy to share the sufferings of Christ. 
And no really great work of God has ever been done that hasn't been misrepresented, misinterpreted, or misunderstood. Also, we learn about the character and and harm of this letter. The things that were said is that selfishness and justice seldom go together. The king listened to those who seemed so willing to serve him. And he was persuaded to believe those that were worried. Notice how they they, they made it. they, they, They were making it look like they were so worried about the king. He was so persuaded to believe those people were worried that his treasury would be diminished. Yeah, right. Oh, king, we don't want to see you dishonored. So he took measures so that he wouldn't lose his authority beyond the river. That was his real reason for it. He didn't want to lose any money. He didn't want to lose his authority. He didn't want to lose his kingdom. That's what people really want, power and authority. And we see that battle going on today in our politics. And they will say and they will do anything to get that power. And they will take a a good man, a righteous man, and they will misconstrue what he says in the most wicked and evil way. And people will believe him. After searching the records, it was easy to find that there were some incidents that might be interpreted in the way that these accusers presented it to the king. That Jerusalem has, in times past, been a a hotbed of, of insurrection against many kings. There had been many mighty kings, verse 20 says, that whom tax, tribute, and custom had been paid to. There might be some possible danger also in the future. So kings, stop the work for now. And you know what? Don't neglect this. Don't let this situation get out of hand, king. Because it, it may harm your interests. It may be harmful to you. So instead, let's stop it now. And, and, and you know, let, let's, let's, you know, be, before it gets too crazy. Let's stop and disappoint the good works and the good hopes of a city. Notice, rather than risk the prosperity of kings. Men would rather, again, stop and disappoint the good work of God, the good hopes of a city, of a nation, rather than risk the prosperity and the power and the authority of those in charge. We can see how self-interest corrupts justice. In closing, men will cause a lot of injury to their fellow man just to save themselves from the slightest possible harm. Selfishness is unfair and it's usually cruel. To be true, to be a true and just person, they can't be interested in themselves. Paul said in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Believers can expect opposition when they do God's work. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 12, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. That's a given. 
People who obey God and live for Jesus Christ will be persecuted. John 15, 20, Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. So don't be surprised or shocked when people misunderstand, criticize, and even try to hurt you because of who you are and what you believe and how you live, what you stand for. Don't give in, don't give up, don't shut up. Keep living the way you know you should live because God is the only one that you need to please. Unbelievers and evil spiritual forces are always working against the kingdom of God and God and his people. So remember the tricks of your enemy. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.10, For we are not ignorant of his devices. Jesus said in John 10.10, he says, A thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. The opposition. Hey, they may come in and they may offer compromising friendships. Come on, let's just all get along. They'll try to discourage you. They'll try to intimidate you. They'll try to accuse you unfairly. And if you expect this to happen, it won't stop you. It won't hinder you. They, they, they can't stop you. They can't hinder you from doing God's work. Because you know it's going to come. Just keep going. Do what God has called you to do no matter what it is. Do what he's planned for you. Trust him to show you how to overcome any and all obstacles. Father, we thank you so much for this great chapter, Lord. Father, so much to to glean and to take in. God, help us to, to mark this chapter, God. So that, God, when, when we are doing your work, God, or you've called us to do a work, Lord, help us to expect these very things to happen. To not be surprised by it, Lord. Because Satan hates those who are committed to God, who are committed to the kingdom work, who are committed to serving him all out. Those who are having an effect on the kingdom of God and the enemy People, bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus. For whatever reason. Some of the very things that maybe were brought up in this letter here. All that, that Christians are troublemakers and that they're fanatical and they're legalistic and they're a sect, a cult. And they're, they're all of these things. And unfortunately, so many people believe those things. But once again, the Bible says that Jesus did all things well. And you know what? You need to research. You need to find out for yourself. Don't let other people be the cause of you going to hell. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
And God has spoken to your heart. As we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisle towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith. Mm -hmm.